Welcome to the Most Important Work Podcast with clinical psychologist, Dr. Jessica Black. Each episode, she uses her background in addictive behaviors and psychological trauma to address common questions and concerns of the loved ones of individuals with substance use disorders. We invite you to visit our website to suggest questions and topics you'd like Dr. Black to address in future episodes. Thank you for joining us. On this episode of The Most Important Work, you're going to hear from a grandfather who, along with his wife, took legal custody of their grandson due to his mother's, their daughter's, substance use disorder. Now, this change in custody happened rather suddenly and unexpectedly for Dr. Kerr and his wife because they, along with so many other loving family members, were not aware that their daughter has a substance use disorder. Their family situation was very public at the time because Dr. Kerr was serving as a superintendent of a large suburban school district, and this publicity was very difficult for him. Yet, you'll hear how being forced to be open about addiction in the family connected him with the community more, and this helped him cope. So now he wants to share his story with others, hoping to give them that sense of community and decrease their loneliness. You'll also hear about how he thinks it's very important to be open with the children who are affected by addiction. In addition to being honest with them, Dr. Kerr feels that perhaps creating a sense of consistency and reminding their grandson often that he is loved helped their grandson to thrive even during this difficult time where he went from living with his parents to living with his grandparents. In fact, Dr. Kerr describes his grandson as resilient, as very bright and personable, He really does describe him as thriving. I hope that this episode helps you feel less alone as you do the most important work. Dr. Kerr? Good afternoon. Thank you for being here. And thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Black, to uh, share part of my story with you today and with those of your listeners. So why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about your story. So what circumstances led up to you assuming care for your grandson? Well, I had a daughter, had a daughter, and a son-in-law that um, obviously got mixed up, um, tied up in the uh, opioid epidemic and uh, the misuse of substance abuse. It's a a long story, but I'll try to be brief about it. Uh, I first of all say to you, any family listening is that there's no family, community, school, or individual that's immune from the drug epidemic problem that we're experiencing in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that uh, my daughter, um, who has uh, Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. uh, also had some uh, issues with ongoing pain as well as her husband who had some surgeries dealing mm-hmm. with uh, rotator cuff and other injuries that actually uh, 
abuse started with medication, mm -hmm. over-medication, and one thing led to another, and uh, they both ended up using heroin. As a result of that, you know, law enforcement became involved, and even though along the way, I, you know, we knew that um, there was uh, rehabilitation uh, services offered to my son-in-law, uh, I honestly never suspected that my daughter was into the use of heroin. And that's the absolute truth. She did a very good job of hiding it, even though we knew that there was a problem uh, with our son-in-law. One thing led to another, and they both ended up um, in uh, the legal system after law enforcement people moved in. And um, so it's a difficult uh, experience, heartbreaking experience, to see uh, people that you love very much go through such a uh, tragic, uh, what could have been even more tragic in terms of an overdose. I think in that sense we're fortunate because uh, they're both alive and well today. And I believe that uh, because of uh, the legal circumstances that we dealt with, the law enforcement involvement, uh, my wife and I moved in quickly and gained custody of our grandchild uh, almost immediately when all of this kind of exploded before us and um, we needed to do whatever was necessary to safeguard our grandchild who at the time um, was about seven years old and so we did that uh, we made sure that he was able to finish school in his school district uh, there were still about 60 days remaining and we made certain that he got to school mm -hmm. certainly that he was well fed and clothed well and did everything possible to ensure uh, his safety and emotional well-being. Uh, that's basically our story. Today uh, we still do have legal custody and uh, everybody's doing extremely well in that sense. We have moved on uh, when this incident uh, erupted four years ago. How lucky your grandson is to have had you and your wife there. <laughs> to step in and have someone show him how important he is and how valuable he is. Right? Um, I think you brought up a really good point earlier that you were truly unaware of your daughter's problem, right? That she had an opioid addiction. That is very common. And I think a lot of times people who haven't directly faced this think, how could you not know? You have to be, you know, ignoring it, and that's just simply not true, right? You were actively involved in your daughter's life. You're a very aware person, right, of your doctorate. And it's just not everyone shows as visible of signs. You might know that there's some distress or maybe not, but you don't know that there's as serious of an addiction as there is. I think uh, to build on that point mm -hmm. and clarify something, yeah. we knew something wasn't right. Okay. Okay? We weren't naive. Right, right. But because we knew that there was a problem within the family. Right. And uh, I think what what set us back was we knew um, for sure that she's trying to work, trying to maintain household, mm -hmm. trying to care for her child, care for her husband. And we felt, I think, that she at time was just full of anxiety. But the truth is, I just never suspected the use of heroin. Under pressure, a lot of anxiety, perhaps some state of depression, absolutely. And that's so common. Yeah. 
So, up, you know, four years ago, up until that point, uh, where you realized what was going on and you and your wife took action to make sure your grandson was well cared for, you were his grandparents. You were actively involved in his life, but it's a different role. So how prepared were you to step into a primary caregiver, a more parent-like role? Well, I think because of my background in public service and education, we stepped in immediately. We, we rose to the occasion to do whatever was necessary to care for this child. Absolutely, no mm -hmm. question, we did and continue to do whatever right. is best in the best interest of, of this child. So uh, making sure, for example, that uh, I mentioned earlier, to get him to school. Because keep in mind, uh, both were incarcerated. Mm -hmm. My daughter went to St. Joe's Institute in Port Matilda, just outside Altoona, mm -hmm. between Altoona and um, State College, for 30 days. Mm -hmm. And we took our grandson to see her when it was permissible on right. weekends, limited time. And that was heartbreaking, too, to see him transition from hugging his mother to then having to leave and then go back to school, to go back to our home. And so they did live with us for three years to get through a transitional period mm -hmm. to ensure that um, everything was uh, as normal as possible to raise a child in a loving and caring environment. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that um, were we prepared? Uh, not totally. I think Quite caught right. off guard, but because of our experiences. In fact, my wife yeah. retired four years ago mm -hmm. prematurely to take care of this child and to take care of our daughter, to make sure that she would stay uh, on the straight pathway, straight and narrow pathway, uh, because um, I think our experiences in this whole transition has been um, in stepping up to be um, the parent and the grandparent, kind of a dual role. We uh, have found healing and hope and promise in recovery. And only because of our faith were we able to cope with this transition and get through it. We had two choices, run and hide, go into some fetal position, or rise to the occasion with courage and boldness to take care of family. Nothing more important than our loved ones. That's exactly what we did, to the best of our ability. Yeah, they're so fortunate to have met you. And you mentioned that emotionally it was really difficult, right? And I know that many people are at a stage in their life where they don't plan on having young children, right, full time. So emotionally it's hard. I have two young children. I know emotionally it's hard to do a good job. Um, physically it's hard. It's tiring. And financially it's hard. And you may have set up things differently um, at that stage in your life because you're not planning on having young children. So for you, what were some of your biggest challenges for you and your wife stepping into that role? I don't want to say that the uh, adjustment or stepping into that role was easy by any means, but we did meet the challenge. Mm -hmm. I think yes. I'm repeating myself, but only through uh, a strong faith were we able to cope with this transition. So the challenge isn't any different than any other parent or grandparent. We made sure that not only getting to school and working with homework at night and working uh, 
and attending uh, his sporting events. Mm -hmm. You know, he played he plays deck hockey okay. and basketball, and he um, had played soccer mm -hmm. early on in his early years. And so we just stepped in and did whatever was necessary to meet the challenge. And it's been rewarding, I have to tell mm -hmm. you, it's been rewarding because uh, we uh, have seen a fine young boy uh, transition and get through it. He was very angry in the beginning. He didn't understand why he was living with his grandparents. Right. And so it's with um, right. the help from the schools, help with counseling, mm -hmm. love and support from family, mm -hmm. uh, from his own father and mother. You know, right. he's, they're still right. his parents, and they love him dearly. Mm -hmm. And so we have to support that and move on um, beyond what we experience. They love him as much, as, and at the time, as much as they were capable of loving him. And you also accessed other resources, the school, you connected with the school, you connected with counseling. And then you mentioned a few times now how important your faith was. So if you're comfortable, could you tell us a little bit about how your faith helped you navigate this? Well, I think we're all faced with uh, storms in our life. Um, nobody is immune to that, but I think it's how you respond to it. We need to be strong. Mm -hmm. um, so through prayer and through church and through uh, ministers beyond our own church mm -hmm. reached out to us for support. Hundreds of cards we received because this was so public. What's different about our experiences, right. many experiences are very private for a family. Right. And so they get the rehabilitation services that you need, you get the support that you need through mm -hmm. counseling. Ours was very public. Right. And so that in itself was a challenge mm -hmm. uh, to remain um, bold. And, and in our mind, our mindset was, well, what else can we do not only to help our family, but to help other families? So. It's that strong faith. It's that mm -hmm. network of people that love and care and understand that this can happen to anybody. Right. It crosses all race, right. gender, ethnic groups, denominations. Right. It is uh, a difficult uh, aspect of our society to understand. Yeah. And it's dragging our society down. Right. What I'm hearing is it really, you felt connected to people outside of just your immediate family and to something greater. And this also, in a way, gave you a sense of purpose that you can not only help your grandson and your daughter and their family, which is central to you, but you can help other people too. And it kind of gave you a greater sense of purpose in a way. You mentioned in your introduction my involvement with the Drug Enforcement Administration and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Maybe we can talk a little more about that later. But yeah, your great. point, your point yeah. about helping others—that was one way for me through my profession mm -hmm. that I was able to take a very dark time in our life and turn it around and do something with it. Mm -hmm. Equally important, my daughter has done that because now she works as a recovery specialist to help others um, to find a second chance in mm -hmm. life. And it comes down to this. Those who really make a personal commitment mm -hmm. to turning their lives around and leave what we experience, the darkest time in our life, to find light and hope 
to move beyond that. People will judge, people make comments, uh, people uh, uh, may uh, look at us differently, uh, but the truth is we're stronger and better because all of the experiences in life, we're all creatures of our experiences, mm -hmm. we have become stronger mm -hmm. in our faith, stronger in our character, mm -hmm. stronger in our mission to help other people. And your daughter's role as a recovery specialist is so important, right? Because she had firsthand experience facing stigma against her for having a substance use disorder, right? Yes. And she was able to recover, which I think that gets lost a lot in the conversation right now. So people talk a lot about, oh, we're facing a drug crisis in the United States. We live in southwestern Pennsylvania where there is lots of <laughs> drug problems, right? Um, but people do recovery and do recover, and those stories often are told or heard. And so that gives people so much hope. I believe so. We're not done with our work. You know, I recently uh, retired, and uh, this is an area of interest for me as well as my family. I'm not sure where it will take us, but there's enormous amount of work to do yet. Mm -hmm to help children and families mm -hmm. get through these uh, tragedies. Yes. We are lucky mm -hmm. because both of our grandchild's parents are living. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's a commitment. It is right. a personal commitment to move on and to become uh, stronger individuals. Right. You mentioned that you, at the beginning of um, our conversation, you mentioned that you have you, you and your wife still have legal custody um, and that throughout your daughter's recovery she lived with you and now she's living independently and her son lives with her more often now is oh, that yes. correct? Okay. oh yes and so I know when he first came to live with you you felt as though he was really angry which is understandable right and completely okay um, and that you two were sad and grieving in a way right for for um, the loss for him. And now that he's living more with his mother full-time, what was that transition like for both you, for him, maybe your wife? I think it was positive. We made every effort to make sure that it was a positive transition. And um, we continue to be very, very close. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we still help care from time to time uh, because of my daughter's work schedule. Mm -hmm. And um, we still attend uh, our grandson's sporting events, mm -hmm. school events. Mm -hmm. So that transition was easy. They have their own home. He's very happy. Uh, although he has his, he lives with his mother now and mm -hmm. has his own bedroom and so forth, he still has a bedroom in our house. Not changed. And he's welcome there anytime to come back, and he does. There's yeah. times that he will stay overnight because he chooses to be with us. Right. And uh, equally important, his grandparents of his fathers um, are very supportive as well and he spends time with them so at some point we'll work through this custody issue and that will change but for right now uh, we just continue to make sure that we do everything possible to provide a positive um, learning experience for him and I would also point out very quickly that he's fully aware of what's happened it's important you know, nothing has been uh, kept a secret. Mm -hmm. 
He needed mm -hmm. to understand as he got older from seven years old on mm -hmm. that he understood that we're going through the court system. Right. Uh, this is what's happened. His mother has been tremendously honest and open with him. Um, and that's been important mm -hmm. uh, because he in turn gives her the love and support. Right. He in turn understands that she's going through and yeah. did go through some very traumatic experiences. And as you know, Jessica, from your research and your study, addiction affects the whole family. Right. It affects the whole family. Right. So all of us uh, need to, uh, I think, recognize that within this, the family because there's an interdependence mm -hmm. for one another, adults mm -hmm. as well as the children. Yeah, that's so wonderful. So, you know, it's amazing that children just love their parents, right? And that's who they really want to be with, even if their parent is struggling. And one thing that helped with the transition when she's healthy again, she's in recovery, is that you told him you cared about him, his other grandparents, and you. You showed him by leaving a space for him in your home that he's always welcome. And then another thing that you did was you talked about it, right? Because children are aware that something's going on, and I think what happens so often is if we don't talk about it, their imagination is much worse than the reality, right? They may feel that their parents or their older sibling, that they don't love them or that they somehow caused them to do this, right? Or they're just choosing not to be around them. And by addressing it directly, that kind of squashes <laughs> what they imagine that is not true, right? Correct. I think just uh, going through um, that experience of four years and then the separation and then a divorce mm -hmm. complicated this whole thing, mm -hmm. uh, this whole matter. But we have adjusted. I believe everybody's adjusted as best as they can. Mm -hmm. But your point, talking about it and being honest with children. Children learn what they live and they have to understand. And it's, uh, it's something that uh, we as a society need to give more attention to, to ensure that we take care of children and families in addiction. There's so much more work to do. And, I certainly um, applaud you for your research and study in this matter. So, what are some things, looking back, that maybe you wish you would have known four years ago when you first stepped into this role, when you discovered your daughter's substance use problem and you and your wife stepped in? Looking back, is there anything you wish you would have known or you wish you could go back and tell yourself? I think early on with what we suspected within the family, I, I wish now that we, not that we didn't, mm -hmm. but I wish I would have intervened sooner. Having the background that I have, the biggest mistake I feel that I made was that I did not intervene earlier. Mm -hmm. When there was family issues, and I clarify again, I have never suspected right. the use right. of heroin. But obviously issues, something not right, should have intervened, intervened sooner knowing that I am fully aware of all the resources available and all the seminars and workshops I've gone to, my own networking, 
didn't step in and I can't fully explain that other than maybe I didn't want to believe that my daughter was in to uh, substance abuse. Many times I approached her, same with my wife. Are you involved in drugs in any way? Dad, it's not like that. That's not me. I'm not doing it. Even though we suspected something wasn't right within this family. My greatest regret that I did not step in sooner. When people, I think, would give subtle hints or Mm -hmm. subtle comments uh, that something doesn't seem right. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't seem right. Well, anybody that's... um, has been affected by the use of opioids, heroin, they're not living a life of reality. Mm-hmm. They're in a different world. It's a right. different lifestyle. Right. But it's also a lifestyle, I think, that's like torture. <laughs> Nobody wants to be right. addicted to any type of opioid or other uh, or drugs. Right. You know, They don't know how to get out. Right. They don't know how to get out. Right. They don't know how to be honest say I need I need help and I, I think as I relive that uh, those are some of the uh, the thoughts that I um, always come to mind that uh, perhaps uh, could have done something uh, sooner it's easy to look back with hindsight right <laughs> hindsight's 2020 that I wish I should have done this but if you really go back to that place you did ask her several times, right? And I can't imagine the fear that must have been there, that something might even more terrible might be going on, right? This is someone who is probably the person you love the most in your life or one of the people you love the most in your life and the most important to you, your child. Absolutely. And... So you do love them and you do care and fear can hold us back. And so I think it's easy to look back and say, I should have done this, right? And maybe we need to really remember what it was like at that time in the place we were in and be a little kinder to ourselves and all the wonderful things that you've done to help her dig out of that misery. Uh, hard, hard to um, comprehend it, I guess, to mm-hmm. some degree, because I... I think uh, my wife and I still harbor some feelings that what did we do wrong? What, what, how could we not see this when it was right in front of us and there were indicators because I have said in the past that mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. and financially mm-hmm. we did everything that we possibly could to right. keep this family together yeah. knowing that there was um, drug abuse right. on the part of the spouse right. and hoping and praying that he would get the right help that he needed. And uh, I think research will show that if a spouse is involved with uh, misuse of drugs, then somewhere along the line, the other spouse falls in. Yeah, most likely will fall to that. We did um, and provided, I think, a lot of support Mm -hmm. to the point now I look back, I don't know if it was being a good grandparent or good grandparents, or we were enablers in many cases. We wanted to make sure that our grandchild had new school clothes. Right. Or making sure right. that every now and then um, fill up the gas tank. Right. Or 
right. a load of groceries or right. making sure that they had an opportunity to go on vacation. Right. We did all those things, as any parent or grandparent would do. Right. And you're doing it from love. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that you experience guilt, right? Because I think that's such a common experience. And what can happen is when we feel immense guilt, we start to feel shame and we hide, right? And it makes it even harder to get out of that misery, right? And move forward, we get stuck in it. And although you may feel that, anyone else from the outside who knows you and your story, right, would never think you have anything to feel guilty about. I mean, you've gone above and beyond what many people do, and you're continuing to do so. And you can see how well your daughter's doing, and most importantly, how well your grandson's doing, right? He's thriving, and he feels loved and safe. He's flourishing. Mm -hmm. we, um, we all love one another. You know, there's a, anything more important than family, and I'm very proud of my daughter. She has made remarkable progress, um, and she continues to do well in her job. When I was at St. Joe's uh, Institute, and I would make mm -hmm. those uh, weekend visits, I can tell you, I met a dentist. Mm -hmm. I met a professor. Right. I met so many good right. people that somehow became trapped in this lifestyle. They don't want to be in that lifestyle. But today, I think there are so many issues. People don't have good coping skills. There's so much pressure. Um, you know, if, if there were more living wages and good jobs where people had good income or better income with benefits, mm -hmm. I think they wouldn't go down this road. We, we, we have parents trying to uh, work two jobs, right. three jobs. And so yeah. in our society in general, we have many grandparents raising children. Uh, I know of a situation where one parent's in rehab, another parent's incarcerated. Right. The grandparent, right. Ra grandparents right. are raising the child. Right. Thank God yeah. for grandparents. Right. Um, it's because how would they do it? Work. Right. What we do to children today, um, it's just terrible in yeah. many cases. You just have to turn on the nightly news. Right. And it's, uh, right. it's uh, devastating to what we do to children in terms of trauma. In our schools today, we now have professional development dealing with trauma, right. trauma-informed decision-making. So teachers know how to cope with children yeah. in their classroom with emotional problems right. and social problems. Right. Um, it isn't fair right. to our children right. and our youth, yeah. uh, what they're going through. But we need to set examples. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves as not only as adults, with our children or grandchildren, mm -hmm. that when things happen, when those storms come to you in your life, you have no alternative but to meet the challenge head on, mm -hmm. rise to that occasion, and give the love and support to your family members or right. friends. Right. You know, we all have right. family and friends that have right. uh, gone down the, the wrong pathway. Right, right. And you've noticed that a lack of hope, you know, not feeling like you have a sense of agency through work and that you can provide for yourself and your family well, 
And also, it sounds like what you're talking about is you feel like there's a loss of connection, which is something you brought up earlier that was really helpful to you. Your faith, feeling connected to something greater to your, than yourself, and you're very connected to your community. And lots of individuals don't feel that, and it's lonely. And then that, along with the lack of hope, right? And I think then it leads to this all these children who are kind of lost, right? I think the most recent statistic is for every, in the United States, for every one child in foster care, eight are living with family members other than their parents or in kinship care. And the number keeps going up and that's largely because of substance use problems that we have right now. And you have a keen awareness that some of this may be due to loss of hope, including financial, which is huge, right? Being able to feel like you can provide for yourself and your family and things will get better and not feeling connected to things greater than yourself or outside of yourself. I think that's extremely important what you just said. And we, um, whether it's uh, the church or the school or the greater community, we all have a shared responsibility to take care of uh, these children. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, thank goodness for children, youth and family services. Okay. Uh, there are many agencies out there that can help. Mm -hmm. When people really want the help, they have, still have to make that commitment right. to go to NA meetings or right. AA meetings, the 12-step program. Those are all positive aspects. But just in the county in general, mm -hmm. there are so many agencies, whether it's the Westmoreland County Drug and Alcohol mm -hmm. Commission, St. Vincent College, mm -hmm. Prevention Projects, mm -hmm. and the list goes on and on, where there's uh, help for adults that mm -hmm. have uh, had family members, uh, the uh, Allon uh, yeah. meetings that right. parents and grandparents can go to, mm -hmm. or in addition to those other agencies that are there to help us, so. Yeah. yeah, so not only the person who's struggling with the addiction, you mentioned they have to be ready, they have to make the choice, right? We can't, unfortunately, <laughs> control someone else. We can't make them use, and we can't make them stop using. And the one thing we can also do is focus on ourselves and our own recovery in places like Al-Anon and other family support groups, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, as we wrap up here, is there anything that you want to make sure you leave our listeners with? I think this was a great conversation, and I'm so thankful to you. I think it's important for parents and grandparents to know where children are at all times. Who are the friends? You know, you can always judge somebody's character about, by the way uh, they spend time with their friends. Who mm -hmm. are their friends? Mm -hmm. Making sure that... Um, you ask the right questions, mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the attributes of strong character will come to light. Um, I said earlier, what children live is what they learn, and so we need better role models in society. Mm -hmm. uh, television, I think, uh, in many cases, is at its worst. Uh, we live in a very uh, divisive society when it mm -hmm. comes to the issues in our own country, right. but the one thing that we should be united on, because it's a shared responsibility, is to do whatever is necessary uh, to help children and families fight the opioid epidemic 
you know, the truth is overdoses are down. Okay, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But training and education, right. more awareness, more right. prevention, right. and more education and training for adults. Because right. the truth is, I don't think adults in general are fully aware of what um, children are living among today. Right. Vaping, another time when we have right. more right. time, vaping right. is a major issue right. Right. across the country. Mm -hmm. And everybody thinks it's better than smoking. Well, it is not right. because of synthetic right. drugs being mixed in. Right, and parents have no idea. Many parents have no idea that it's exactly. happening. Right. And, um, no, that's it. Right, right. And I think, you know, it, we being aware of what's going on tells the child how much we care for them, right? And opioid overdoses are down. But that doesn't mean that there's not still a substance use disorder. And whether it's opioids or meth or alcohol or whatever it is, there's a reason that people go to that, right, at some point. And one of the biggest ways we can protect our children, I'm so glad you brought that up, is paying attention to what's going on with them, especially when they're younger, in middle school, and high school. And from research that consistently shows up as the most important thing at preventing and then helping people recover from is if the parents are involved and show that they care, right? If I could make one last point. Oh, sure. You know, I've worked with Dr. Eric Koshin, mm -hmm. who's a professor here, obviously, uh, at St. Vincent. And uh, his study is remarkable in the sense of all the interviews he's conducted with those who have experienced addiction. Mm -hmm. And it, when you take a look at a child's history or an adolescent's history, it all goes back to trauma. Something happened in their life that triggered this um, pathway. Right. I'm not finding the right words for you. Right, right. Um, something happened in their life that was traumatic mm -hmm. that caused them to go down the wrong pathway. Right. Research, studies, mm -hmm. one after another indicated yeah. that something happened in their life that took them down a path. Right. So children today experiencing addiction within their family, mm -hmm. separation, divorce, addiction, overdoses, the loss of a parent um, can be very traumatic. And so we need to pay more attention. Mm -hmm. We need to find more funding. Mm -hmm. We need to find um, people in the federal government right. and the state government, not that they have all the answers, right. but they have the funding to help support professionals. Right do continuing study and mm -hmm. treatment. Treatment is important and more education and training is equally important right. for everyone in every community. And grandparents and other family members are showing up and doing that most important work of saying, if you went through something like this, we care for you, we're here for you, and we care for you enough that we're gonna watch what's going on in your life. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being here today. Hopefully um, listeners will leave this conversation feeling less alone and maybe a little more hope. So thank you so much, Dr. Kerr. Thank you, Dr. Black. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. This podcast is for informational purposes only. and is not intended to offer diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. 
All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your healthcare professional.